Welcome to the Sensualchemy School podcast, where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask, within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive, and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper, and I'm so grateful you're here. Welcome. I'm Kate Leeper, feminine embodiment coach, psychotherapist, and the founder of the Sensualchemy School for Embodied Grief and Pleasure. I have a really meaty one for you today, my loves. It's on a topic that I've been fleshing out for some time. And it's really, I guess, anchored in my experience of working with women as both a therapist and a coach for the past seven years. And in very recent years, as the lens through which I engage with my clients has narrowed much more in the realm of grief and navigating this deeply human experience, with the support of innate embodied intelligence. Today's topic has really been illuminated for me, and I'm so excited to share what I've discovered with you. Now, just before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that just yesterday, I kicked off a really beautiful free experience called Reverence in Motion. It's 30 days of embodied nourishment through grief and pleasure ritual. It's a super gentle offering that I've designed to feel really warm, loving and cozy and essentially really supportive as we move into the festive season, which can feel really overwhelming for all of us, right? But particularly for those of us who wade the complicated waters of grief. So look, you are so welcome to join us now, even though we have just begun, but it just, it doesn't matter. It's a flexible experience. And so we go through until November the 30th and there's plenty of time to really ease in. The link will be in the show notes to register, but you can also check it out at kateleeper.com slash reverence. Right. So back to our masks of grief. And we're teasing apart something really interesting here. Five masks of protection that grieving women wear. Now, I've got to say, of course, this list is by no means exclusive. Yet these are five really fascinating presentations that we as women, and no doubt men, of course, fall into these personas as well, but I'll be speaking to them as masks that grieving women wear because I'm a woman and I work with women identifying folk. And these patterns are what I witness in myself and those I serve. So why am I delving into this theme at all? Well, firstly, if you've worked with me before, you know that I'm heavily intrigued by archetypes and I work a lot with dismantling and embodying roles and expression with women who are courageously integrating their grief and relearning how to resource through pleasure in my work as a practitioner. 
So I love geeking out about those collective human aspects of who we are that we can identify both in ourselves and others in order for us ultimately to connect and relate more meaningfully in a culture that is really grief phobic and anti-vulnerability. So when you're listening to the descriptions of these five masks that grieving women wear, I want you to listen with your body. I want you to notice your body's response to some of the words and what they evoke for you. And without having to do a thing with this feedback, I invite you in this noticing to simply extend a gentle acknowledgement to your body, to acknowledge that you wear these masks because it feels safest to wear them. Sometimes these masks allow you to feel somewhat human, even good when the alternative you imagine is terrible. This is the disclaimer here. These masks aren't labels. They're not personality types. They're not prescriptive. They're not here to instill shame and a sense of failure. I've pulled these patterns together and I've given them names just in order to invite a gateway into curious exploration. And really that's the point. So this is what it is to work with the creative feminine, to play with possibilities through feeling, sensing and seeing more of who we are and why we show up the way we do. Now, the final thing here is this. If you're listening and you're unsure if what you carry is indeed grief, I want you to remember that grief is not just limited to bereavement. A grieving woman is a woman who carries loss from any multitude of human experiences. Loss of a loved one, yes, of course, and loss of relationship, loss of identity, loss of good health, loss of career or livelihood, loss of an expectation that didn't come to fruition, loss of hope. Any and all loss that significantly impacts how you are able to make sense of life and the world around you. There is no grief hierarchy. Your grief is valid and your grief will take the shape that it takes. Okay, so with these grief masks, I've also identified which ones are typically runners, so a flight response, and which are battlers, a fight response, and which kind of dance between the two. And this is, as always, super nuanced, so there might be some of what I describe that hits home for you and some that won't land at all, and that is perfect. Okay, let's dive on in. The first mask I want you to feel into is the good time gal. <laughs> oh, I have such compassion for the good time gal. In my experience, this first mask fits those of us with a natural predisposition to being a bit of a socialite, you know, an extrovert. Yet when it may become a problem in grief is when socializing and pursuing the good times at the cost of everything else becomes like a crutch. And what I see here 
is when a woman who deeply longs for connection yet is fearful of true intimacy because intimacy equals vulnerability. There is a tendency to become addicted to the high that light, fluffy, false connections can create. Not to mention the propensity towards becoming addicted to the booze, to the weed, to the psychedelics, you know, whatever, uh, to make it feel safer to pursue connection, regardless of the fact that it's built on really shaky ground in the first place. So the dear good time gal can set up an exhausting cycle of chasing the social high and the laughs and the lightness that never really hits the spot. And because this kind of pleasure is actually more of a performance, there's nothing to satiate the desire to feel genuinely alive. False joviality becomes a way to cope with sadness. And then, you know, you almost become pigeonholed as the fun friend and true connection feels even further away. I've got to say, I played in this territory a lot in my early 20s after I left an abusive boyfriend. And the addiction of the good time gal is real because being brave and admitting that the social groups and the dynamic of this false connection is doing more harm than good is scary because it sets up more loss. Even though it's kind of fake anyway, it's still more loss to contend with. And it's not until you do the brave thing and extricate yourself from this mask can you truly see possibility for deeper connection and for your grief to be known and accepted elsewhere and in more healing ways. And of course, this is not to say that being social and pursuing fun is wrong, especially when you're feeling shitty. What I'm speaking to are patterns that form around numbing out and disconnecting through wearing the mask in order to avoid the hard feelings that come with grief. Hmm. Okay, so we're going to move on to another runner, another pattern that essentially falls into a flight response. And this mask of grief is super interesting and as far as I've noticed has been really prevalent during the pandemic, which I've put down to the existential crisis that this period of time has catalyzed in so many of us, a time where people have actively searched for a sense of safety and control. So this mask is of the spiritual devotee. Now, where I had no religious upbringing and I don't align with organized religion by any stretch, my personal connection to what I consider to be the divine, the mystery, the universe has brought me great comfort in my grief. I completely understand why people turn to their faith in times of grief and anguish. A connection to greater meaning and trust in the higher order of things through spiritual practice is a gift that I deeply cherish and that keeps evolving for me as I develop a deeper, more embodied relationship to my soul, which incorporates both the light and the dark. So this is often why the mask of the spiritual devotee can feel like a really comfortable way to avoid the dark, messy, shameful, terrifying truths that inhabiting a body and all that goes with it is about. This spiritual mask becomes a tool to bypass grief 
And this mask, more than, say, the good time gal, is, I guess, less taboo, right? It's it's more culturally and socially acceptable because when people appear to lean back into their own religious or spiritual devotion, it actually brings relief to others because then they don't need to face their own discomfort. They can breathe easy with the platitudes and the scripts of faith that pass the buck, so to speak. And I say appear to lean back into this devotion because I think most people only have a wobbly relationship with substantial spirituality. So much is performance and therefore isn't a kind of robust support system. You know, for many, it's just a flimsy belief system that may not really have a spine to it. Another reason why this mask feels like an easy way to bypass complex human grief is because we're not ever taught that it's okay to be with chaos and uncertainty, (laughs) that actually it's not only okay, it's fundamental to living a full, rich life of possibility. We are often so desperate to make meaning of things that most times have no meaning. And I I get that. I really do. And sometimes things can happen in our lives that are just so revoltingly unfair and horrendous and just make no sense. And of course, we want to understand why, you know, why has it happened to lessen our pain in some way? And I just don't believe that there is a why most of the time. There isn't sense. When my sister Sarah died, we as a family went through every possible reason why she was the one who developed terminal brain cancer. A vibrant, healthy woman with no history of anything. Here one minute, loving life and dead the next at 30 years old. But regardless of playing with these theories that she was chosen by a high power to die early and be our angel and this was her destiny, I mean, fuck, maybe that's the case, right? (laughs) Maybe it is. I really hope it is. But here on earth, as we navigate the very real repercussions of losing her, what was important for us was for us as her humans who who love her, was to be with what is here and now in the body. And what is and what was was agony, nonsensical, you know, completely nonsensical. And this truth must be honoured if we're to grow and integrate loss into our lived experience. So finally, this mask leads us to others as well, right, who find wearing it a comfort also. And there's a risk here of falling into groups that are really insular, echo chambers, culty, you know. This, of course, is meeting a need to belong and feel safe and just makes it that much easier in these kind of groups, you know, when we find ourselves in these groups that don't challenge us and and really reinforce these spiritual beliefs, makes it easy to fool ourselves into believing that we're on some kind of higher ascended path and that others who aren't spiritually aligned are, are less evolved or something. And when it comes to grief, my friends, there is nothing further from the truth. So let your spirituality source you and support you. 
without succumbing to the tantalizing proposition of rising above to avoid the real stuff down here on the ground. Whew, okay, now we're we're on to number three. This one is also another runner, and it is the mask of the free-spirited adventurer. <sighs> another one that supports the need to flee from what hurts, what's hard, and what ultimately calls for honest communion. So I see the free-spirited adventurer as the woman who has this compulsive need to stay moving. She'll go anywhere, no matter how dangerous, as long as it's not the tumultuous terrain of her sorrow. She will run onto the next adventure over and over again, simply because if she stays in one place for too long, her demons might catch up with her. And look, there's so much to love about these women, about this free-spiritedness. I know I can sometimes feel jealous of those who are always off on an exciting adventure because there's definitely a part of me that yearns for that constant newness and opportunity to reinvent myself. But what I notice about this mask when indeed it is a mask of grief, because, you know, of course you can be an adventurer without having it be a mask of anything, of course, and only you know this as you listen. But it's it's that the women that wear it are often really careful to not get too deep within relationships, both intimate relationships and friendships. You know, she moves once things get too close because there's a fear of being exposed and truly seen in all the darkness. It's hard sometimes, I think, to understand this mask for what it is because the wearers are often so beautifully attentive to others, right? Yet this refined skill of deflection so as to avoid being asked anything beyond surface level, is really just a learned defense mechanism. And essentially, we refer to these humans as free spirits, but when wearing this mask, they're more aptly emotional escape artists. I know plenty of these wonderful adventurers, and sometimes this mask has a use-by date. It gets to the point where it's exhausting running from your shadow. So I've definitely worked with a number of women who gather the courage up to stay put and lay some roots, if only to create the conditions in which to be present with grief and let their pain be honoured without running from it. That's the biggest, bravest adventure of them all, really. Okay, so we have two more, and these next two have a different flavour. The first one is the mask of the Wonder Woman. <laughs> I bet you were just waiting for this one to appear. I sat with whether this mask was one of fight or flight, and I feel like it's actually a combination. I know this mask really well. <laughs> Personally, and I'm familiar with my Wonder Woman mask serving the purpose of setting things up to use my busyness to run from pain and as a way to fight, to battle against this deep desire to fall apart. There's a lot of fire underneath this mask. So you'll know this mask because we're talking about the classic overfunctioning perfectionist that throws themselves into maintaining normality in the face of grief. 
keep on keeping on is the mantra here, but in a way that is less slow and steady and more fast and furious. And it's interesting because before I really deepened into embodiment practice and practitionership, I can identify this in myself, but now I can see it a mile away in other women. So what I'm speaking to is the Wonder Woman mask wearer who will grasp at every coping and support mechanism under the sun, except intentionally being with grief. So they'll go to lots of yoga classes and learn tapping and they'll buy the flower essences to help them sleep. And they'll even try the ice baths and they'll literally invest so much time and energy and money into trying to feel better But if it involves actually pausing, slowing, allowing themselves to be tenderly held in safety, they will run in the opposite direction as if their life depends on it. And I want to offer, seriously, a massive amount of compassion. If you're hearing this and you're cringing and you're like, holy shit, that's my mask, I want you to know that if the Wonder Woman is where you're at, then congrats, because you've got an A plus from the culture. (laughs) You follow directions beautifully. (laughs) I mean, we are celebrated for being Wonder Women, for having the kids, having the career, having the big home to care for and the caravan to holiday in and for juggling a million plates like a pro. We are not encouraged to slow down and be with our grief, to connect with others in our grief. This was not the MO from childhood, right? (laughs) I remember receiving my master's degree at 36 weeks pregnant with my second child, six months after establishing my first business as a therapist, and a year after my sister had endured her first brain surgery, which essentially changed her completely, leading to immense loss and overwhelming grief in me. She was the closest person to me in the world. I used to describe it like aliens had abducted her and replaced her with a fake sister that looked vaguely the same and sounded similar. And yet we were expected to believe it was the actual Sarah and go about life just like before. It was wildly traumatic to experience. And so I was just like, cool. (laughs) let's have another baby. I'll do my master's and start a business. Great plan, Kate. (laughs) Right? I mean, I feel like I have been unraveling from those years ever since. It's hardcore because I was totally celebrated for achieving all those things at once. I mean, I'm I'm proud of it. (laughs) Yet I know that I essentially chose to busy myself so much as a survival tactic, which is why it's so important to mention how often the Wonder Woman mask wearers suffered disastrous burnout and subsequent disease and illness that stem from a lack of rest, nervous system regulation, and emotional wellness and stability. And finally, I think it's also a trademark of this mask to be the first to show up for others in pain and the last to show up for herself in pain. So not only is this woman a type A go-getter, but she has an amazing capacity to care for other humans. It's caring for herself that she struggles with. 
Right, my loves, how are we going? Are these landing for you? I'm really curious. You know, they're they're very vivid to me and, uh, yeah, just wondering what is landing. And we're almost at the end. We have one final mask of grief to explore. This one is full of fire and a total freaking warrior, let's face it. I've been in a number of communities with women who live underneath this mask and it's both so inspiring and so extraordinarily hard to see when you know what you're looking at. This is the mask of the relentless activist. And this mask is pure battler. The fight against grief is what keeps many women alive and able to function. Again, it is so hard not to celebrate these extraordinary humans because they're generally making waves of change and are responsible for significant political and social shifts that are so needed. I think where we need to be mindful, however, is when this mask becomes all-consuming, when the grief incurred by the loss that drives the change-making is abandoned completely. And as we talk about on this podcast all the time, grief, when rejected or dismissed, doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't leave. It festers. It hardens. And it will find a way to be heard eventually. So the mask of the relentless activist is fueled by rage at injustice and unfairness. They will go out of their way to advocate for a cause, but this means that often they're the last on the list of causes to care about. The women I know or see in activism spaces who operate with this mask are whip-smart and ultra-capable, and they're well-practiced at showing up under the guise that they're dealing with their grief by running the charity, leading the charge in social justice, or advocating for the marginalised or oppressed. And I think it makes so much sense. You know, righteous fury is excellent mobilizing fuel. It activates like nothing else. But in my work, I've supported so many grieving women to access the deep, deep sorrow underneath the anger because there's been a moment, there's been a switch that's been flicked where they've realized it's suffocating them from the inside out and they need to find a way to be with it. And it's a sad truth that our culture is hell-bent on the notion that vulnerability equals weakness. And it's this avoidance of supposed weakness that sets up all the masks of grief, but particularly this one, for major burnout. Because the relentless activist, fueled by rage, risks living in this heightened nervous system state constantly, where the adrenals are firing nonstop, And this takes such a toll on the body. It's almost like this woman knows that if she were to press pause on her mission, she'd crumble and this would be the end of her. And if you're listening to this right now and you are like, wow, this is me, I want to extend a gentle, loving hand to you. I want you to know that feeling the depth of your grief will very likely cause you to crumble. Yes, it will. And This is what it's meant to do. This is the job of grief. There's no human state so honest and pure as grief, except perhaps pure joy. 
And therein lies the catch. You, as the relentless activist, driven by purpose and the fire of your pain, cannot expect to meet pure joy in your body, in your life, unless you meet the purity of your overwhelming sadness. But please don't go there in isolation. The first port of call is to find the safe people and places that will hold you as you go there. They will go there with you. And this won't hinder your activism. In fact, it will only deepen it and make it more potent and impactful in the long run. I promise you that. My loves, that brings us to completion. I've just walked through five masks of the grieving woman. You heard about the good time gal, the spiritual devotee, the free-spirited adventurer, the wonder woman, and the relentless activist. All quite different, right? Yet these masks that constitute ways of coping with grief, with managing the fear of what lies at the heart of grief, are all oftentimes brilliantly supportive mechanisms to get us through, to keep us functioning despite our losses. So what do we do from here? If you've just listened today and one or more of the masks have struck a chord with you, then just know that can be enough. As I've spoken about in previous episodes, timing is everything. Grief cannot be rushed and it shouldn't be rushed. I invite you to let whatever struck a chord be acknowledged with honesty. It's so massive to simply be honest with ourselves about how we cope. And from a place of readiness or even a spur of curiosity, begin to explore your options. There are many grief counsellors and programs available and that might be a good place to start. If you've been drawn to the work I do here at Central Alchemy School, that may be because you're wanting less of a top-down approach to grief work and more of an embodied feminine-centered approach to being with and moving with grief. And to that end, when I work with women, I invite them into a process of embodied grief alchemy. This is a gentle exploration where we don't dive into the deepest well of pain immediately. We don't need to rehash stories and make meaning in a hurry. We are instead devoted to the intelligence of your body to show us what it needs. This is supportive and healing for the nervous system and also ignites expression and creativity, which can really help to move big emotions through in more sustainable and resourcing ways, ways that expand your capacity as opposed to deplete it. Now, I do take on limited private clients at any one time, but you're so welcome to send me a DM over on Instagram and inquire. I'd love to hear from you. I'm at kate.leaper. You can also check out my website and all the offerings coming up around feminine grief, creative leadership, all the juicy stuff for 2023. I'm at kateleaper.com. Okay, dear ones, so many blessings for the next couple of weeks until we meet again. Big love. Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leaper. I'd love to hear from you.